We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and a happy draft week. Welcome to another episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast. We're just a few days away from that college draft extravaganza over in Nashville as the Packers come in with picks 12, picks 30, as well as a second, a third, and two fourths to go along with their 10 total picks on the three days of the draft. And one of those could be used on a wide receiver, and that's what we're taking a look at on this edition of the Pack-A-Day podcast. Joining me, as always, Tyler Grizzagoric, and our special guest as well, the Don Corleone of the Pack-A-Day podcast, Andy Herman. So Tyler, Andy, how's everything going for you guys? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk some receivers. Uh, there are some very interesting names that uh, I can't wait to get into about, uh, in this class. You know, you're absolutely right. And it's a very polarizing position group this year. There's no really clear-cut guy that like a Ridley was last year or going back to the Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones era. There's no top-notch number one receiver that's guaranteed to be the first guy off the board. But in recent weeks, there's been a lot of talk about where these receivers could start sliding, whether there's only going to be one, maybe two in the first round, or it could be three or four. We'll see what's going on. And a lot of talk has been about the Packers and whether they might be looking at a guy like DK Metcalf at 12 or maybe they're looking at a, a guy at 30. And even more than just a month ago, that talk has really been ramping up. So, Andy, I'll go to you. What are your thoughts on, on the discussions about the Packers looking higher for a receiver in the first round? 
Yeah, it's an interesting topic of discussion. I I get the feel that receiver at 12 is nothing but more than a smoke screen. I just don't know that there is that ideal prospect that's available in this draft that you would really take at number 12 overall. You know, the only two players even remotely in the discussion, of course, would be DK Metcalf and Hollywood Brown. If Hollywood Brown didn't have the list Frank injury and maybe if he wasn't, you know, 170 pounds dripping wet, um, maybe you could potentially look at taking him in that in that area. But I just don't see that being the case with some of the injury concerns. Um, and then, uh, of course, DK Metcalf, who if, if you told me they picked a, a receiver at 12, it, it would definitely be him, in my opinion. You know, if you get the DK Metcalf that I think a lot of people hopes he can become, he could be one of the most special, talented receivers that either Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre had ever played with. Uh, certainly one of the most special receivers in this franchise's history, which is saying a lot. He's so physically gifted. Um, he, he's, uh, you know, everything that you want from an athletic standpoint. Of course, you'd love maybe the agility to be a little bit more, but he's jacked up. You know, corners in the NFL even are going to have trouble with him because of how physically gifted he is, how fast he is. He, he just can do things on a football field that not a lot of people can do. But I kind of equate him at this point more to a an elite athlete playing wide receiver rather, rather than an actual fully you know, ingrained wide receiver at this point in his career. He has a lot of work to do uh, to kind of hone his craft. And again, some of those agility concerns are going to come in. He, of course, also had the neck injury from a season ago. So I just think there's some question marks there. You would have loved to see a little bit more production from DK Metcalf. And if you kind of go back to old Miss tape, um, you know, you can easily make the argument that he wasn't the, the best receiver on the team. Of course, A.J. Brown certainly is very much in that discussion. You can make the discussion that he wasn't even the, in the top two of receivers on his team because Lodge was a really good receiver for them too. So uh, if you're picking a guy in the top 15, you want it to be an, an alpha male who is going to come in on day one and be the guy. And I just i am not totally sold that that's the case. I think he has some work to do. But if all of a sudden you told me that they selected DK Metcalf at 12 as much as that wouldn't be what I would do, I mean, man, you get an absolutely special talent playing across from uh, Devontae Adams, who's going to get a ton of attention every year. He's going to get a lot of single-man coverage. And, of course, we kind of know that press man-to-man is what teams have kind of been able to beat Green Bay with. And if he's able to get off that press man and explode down the field and create a deep threat, uh, that's certainly a really intriguing weapon that Green Bay would have. I just don't see it at 12. I think 30 or 44 could potentially make more sense. And Tyler, I'll I'll turn to you for that then. What are your thoughts on the talk about the Packers looking in the first round? Do you think 12 or 3 would be a good spot, or would you rather them go 44 or even later for a receiver? Well, I've talked about this wide receiver class, and regarding DK Metcalf, I couldn't have put it any better than what you just talked about, Andy. Like, You're hoping he could become that elite receiver. You're drafting the elite athlete and hoping he can stay healthy and develop those receiver uh, traits and abilities that he's going to need to be successful in the NFL. Like specifically his, some of his route running abilities, he's got some, he does have uh, a couple drops here and there that you're, you're kind of like, I don't understand how you could drop that. Uh, and I'm, I'm not even entirely sure he knows how to use his frame. So I uh, like you, I'm not really looking at using a top 15 pick on a receiver in this class. I just don't think there's a guy worthy of it. Uh, like you said, maybe if Marquise Brown is actually healthy um, and not, one of the smallest football players that we'll see um, in the entire NFL. Um, 
maybe then you, you, we can talk about spending a top 15 pick on a receiver. But I'm looking at that 30 to 44 range. I think this class is really deep at the receiver class or at the receiver position, excuse me. I just think it's it's in that second round is where you're going to get your your best value. Uh, I think 30 is probably the ceiling if there's a guy you're really, really in love with, like a guy like Enkil Harry, uh, maybe even DK Metcalf at that point, uh, AJ Brown, Marquise Brown. You know, there's there's a number of guys that could go that 30 to 44, 30 or 44 spot uh, come next this weekend. And I think Green Bay is really in an interesting spot in this draft as well. And, and the reason I say that from a receiver standpoint, the reason I say that is because they have some really talented athletes at receiver that are already being developed on this roster, including Equinemius St. Brown, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Jamon Moore. Of course, Geronimo Allison and Devontae Adams are going to make the team. And then you still have some developmental guys even beyond that, like a Jake Kumaro, uh, like a um, uh, who's the the big receiver that they took last year that they signed. Alan Lazard. Al- Lazard. Yeah, thank you, Alan Lazard, who I actually really liked coming out of Iowa State. So they, they definitely have uh, their share of developmental prospects already on the team. I think if you get past 44 for sure, the big question immediately becomes – is there anyone that's really going to be worth taking that is going to come in and probably be the number two right away? Probably not. And are they as good of a developmental prospect as somebody or, or better of a developmental prospect than somebody you already have on the team like MVS or EQ? So you kind of get in this 12 probably isn't worth it. 44 and in the third round may not be good enough because they may not bring something to the table that Green Bay doesn't already have on the team. I almost kind of think if you're taking a receiver – of course, fourth through seventh rounds, take whatever you want. Take best player available. Uh, those picks you can use for anything that you want. If you see somebody that you think has a ton of talent, just grab them. I don't care about the position at all. But when you're talking about the top picks here, it kind of almost seems like 30 would be that sweet spot where, uh, again, there's there's nobody probably at 12 that's worth it. But at 30, you might get somebody that could actually come in and challenge for those number two and number three positions like an A.J. Brown. He could fill a role immediately. That would be the, the sweet spot where something potentially makes sense. But if, if you kind of get a little bit later in the, the second or the third round, I'm just not sure you find somebody that's a, a surefire, better player than what you already have on the roster with those developmental guys. No, well, I completely the- agree with there because you're also going to be getting a guy who's not going to be in his second year in the league. And traditionally, you'll see that big jump from year one to two or two to three. But any rookie that comes in, doesn't matter if it's even a pick at 12, they're not going to be more impactful than I than Equinemius St. Brown or Marcos Valdez-Scantling or Geronimo Allison. You know, you're going to be – that's going to be a future projection and not something you're really going to be getting a lot of impact from in year one. No, I, I agree with both of you guys on that. I think 30 would be the sweet spot. But I also think Green Bay's probably going to end up trading out of that spot anyway. But with this with this class, you're right. It's There's no clear-cut number one. There's a lot of guys in that mid-20s to mid-day two guys who are all kind of in that one group. So with that being said, I might as well jump into some of these top prospects. And I think a lot of us are very high in A.J. Brown. So let's kind of talk about him. And a lot of us uh, have really kind of talked about bringing him in at pick 30. So, Andy and Tyler, whichever you guys want to go first, I guess, what are your thoughts on A.J. Brown and how would he fit in Green Bay? Tyler, you want to take this one first? Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, A.J. Brown, to me, um, I, I haven't really made it a secret that I'm not really a biggest fan of D.K. Metcalf. I don't think he's the best receiver from that Ole Miss team. Uh, I, it could be A.J. Brown, and I'd even listen to arguments for DeMarcus Lodge, to be honest with you. 
Uh, AJ Brown is a guy you can move all over your formation. He, he's got, he's just a reliable receiver. And, you know, I don't know if there's any one thing that he does ex- exceedingly well. He, he just does a lot of things very well. And to me, that has value as a guy you can come in and you can plug him in the slide, you can plug him outside. You can ask him to, you know, run most routes that you're going to have. The, sadly, the Ole Miss offense was pretty restrictive to these receivers and really limited them and what they could do and what they're going to be able to do on day one when they get on an NFL team. However, I think that A.J. Brown has all the traits to be able to play anywhere uh, along that line of scrimmage and really be a guy that you can kind of move around and manipulate the defense with. And honestly, pairing him with another guy that you can do that with in Devontae Adams would just create a lot of headaches and a lot it give Matt LaFleur a lot of options as far as what he could do. Yeah, I like that breakdown a lot. I think the the big thing with AJ Brown, I think you're you're not getting a, a huge explosive playmaker. If you're looking for that guy that's going to take, you know, or potentially, you know, consistently get 40, 50, 60 yard receptions and and consistently take things to the house, he's probably not going to be that. He averaged 15.5 yards per reception last year, which isn't terrible. Only six touchdowns. Um, you know, he ran a 44940, which is good, but not, you know, not game-breaking speed. But everything else you want, he has really kind of in spades. And, and, and Tyler said it great as well. It's not somebody who, uh, you know, really jumps off the tape in any specific place, but just does everything really, really well. Uh, could come in and be a reliable slot receiver, a possession receiver over the middle. He's going to be a big target for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, 6'1", 230. This is not a small guy. Um, you know, Ben Fennell, I thought, really had some apt comparisons, kind of an Andre Johnson, a Sterling Sharp, that type of build. Uh, again, a big physical receiver. And I thought the the thing that kind of got A.J. Brown in that first-round conversation, he had been, uh, of course, their big-time slot receiver. But when D.K. went down, he stepped outside, and he had some really big performances on the outside later in the season for Ole Miss last year as well. So I think he's got a lot of things that would be really, uh, you know, perfect for what Green Bay would be looking for. Aaron Rodgers has already kind of made mention that that slot position is something he's kind of keeping a little bit of an eye on because with losing Randall Cobb, I think he kind of feels like that security blanket may have may have been lost a little bit. I think you bring in A.J. Brown uh, at pick 30, pick 44, and I think you have that security blanket. I think he's going to earn Aaron Rodgers' trust very, very quickly, and uh, I, I definitely think he could bring something to the table that maybe Green Bay doesn't have as a bigger, more physical slot receiver with specific slot skills. So I think it'd be, I think it'd be a really solid pickup. No, I agree, and I, he's my favorite receiver in this draft as well. Another guy I do really like is also is Hollywood Brown, uh, talking about slot receivers. And we've brought up the list rank injury, which is very, very dangerous for a wide receiver, especially one his size, who is my height, but 60 pounds less than me. So it's, it's a big risk with him. But if he's healthy, he could be yeah, that game-breaking guy run, moving around the slot, going deep, jet sweeps, whatever you want with him. He could be that kind of guy. But are there any other guys in that mold that you'd be interested in in the draft, whether it's day one or two? Well, let me just talk real quick on, on Hollywood Brown because he's my top-rated guy in this class, and I absolutely love him. I would love for Green Bay to get this type of receiver in the draft. I think when you look at Aaron Rodgers and how quickly he can get the ball out of his hands on some of those bubble screens, 
if a team is going to play off on Hollywood Brown, you can give him some of those quick bubble screens or you could use him in motion and give him a, a quick drag route over the middle. And he can legitimately take those to the house at any given moment. You can do a lot, a lot of the things that Tyree Kill did with Kansas City. I think he can be that type of weapon. And I mean, Tyree Kill is special as a player. Um, of course, there's a lot of off-field concerns that we won't get into, but he's special as a player. Um, so I think that's that'd be a high praise for Hollywood Brown. But I think he has some of those traits. I think he's got some Deshaun Jackson in him as well. And I think if all of a sudden then you start taking the top off of defenses because, he, again, he's taking some of those little bubble screens to the house, well, now corners have to play up on him, and he's just going to burn right by them uh, with his 4-3, probably 40. He probably would have ran if he was healthy. So I think he's a special, special talent. I would love, love, love for Green Bay to add a player like that. I, I think the one thing that you can add – is somebody that the defense would have to be aware of at all times because you want Devontae to be opened up. You want Jimmy Graham to be opened up. You want to be able to run the ball easier. If you want somebody like that who can help your offense immediately just by being on the field, not even necessarily having to do anything with them, just by being on the field, the defense has to be cognizant of them. I think he helps from day one just with that explosive speed, but it kind of gets taken out of the scouts' hands at this point. Everyone knows that Hollywood Brown is a phenomenal receiver and a phenomenal game-breaking player. The, the question, of course, is can his body hold up and uh, how dangerous and how risky is that Liz Frank injury? If the doctors and the medical examiners pass him, uh, you know, take him wherever the heck you want because I think he can be such a game-breaker. But to answer your original question, um, this would be obviously a little bit later, but I think uh, Andy Isabella is a player who um, – can do some of the similar things people want to see him just as a slot receiver. I think he's more than just a slot receiver. Uh, this is such a super lazy comparison, but I do see a lot of Julian Edelman in his game. I would do anything not to make a Patriot white receiver comparison in this situation, but this one certainly seems apt. I think he like Edelman isn't just a slot guy. I think he can win deep. He's got great speed you have to take the height and the the catch radius into consideration. He doesn't have, he's not going to make a ton of contested catches. He doesn't have a great catch radius. Um, and those things, and with his small stature, those things are going to be a problem that you have to overcome. Everything else he does phenomenally. He's super fast, 4-3-40. And I think the big thing I loved about Isabella is in, in his biggest game against an SEC opponent to end the year, he played Georgia, and he put up a 200-plus yard game, just absolutely dominated. So I think when you look at some of the things that he brings to the table, if you're looking for something like that later in the draft, I think that's where you could potentially get that. And then so, Tyler, turning to you, there's a, a few guys I want to ask you about. Uh, the first one is going to be Keneal Harry, because I know you're an Arizona State guy, so he's kind of right in your wheelhouse. But also a couple of guys that have been seen on day two that are game-breaking guys, and Debo Samuel and Paris Campbell. I guess so. I guess among those guys, uh, what are your thoughts on you know, first the big-bodied Harry, and then the the smaller guys, the and like Samuel, who's a great route runner, or Campbell, who's another one of those game-breaking type guys. I guess, so what are your thoughts on on some of those guys? You know, it's kind of funny, Mike, because I was sitting here as Andy was talking, thinking about who I'm going to talk about, and all three guys you just mentioned were on my list. So I'm very ready and excited to talk about all three of them. Um, I've, I've been super high on any clue Harry the entire draft process. I tried to keep all bias outside of it, obviously, since I did go to Arizona State, and I had the opportunity to watch him uh, play football at Sun Devil Stadium. And I can honestly tell you, the first time I saw Enkil Harry on the football field, I, I before I had even watched any film or really knew who he was, I, I saw him my, uh, it would have been my junior year 
um, and it would have been his freshman year. Uh, he he immediately stuck out to me as a guy who was one of the best players on the football field. And to me, that's not something that you necessarily see on on film. You you, you definitely can when the guy is just like like Hollywood Brown, just burning everybody on every single play. But Inkyo Harry, I just got that feeling from him immediately. And then once you turn on the tape, there there's obvious reasons as to why you get that feeling. He's just a dominating force on the outside. He's just he's a six two and change, and I think it was about two thirty. So he, he he's definitely a bigger guy. And you, I think there's comparisons to Des Bryant out there. I'm not a big fan of that comparison, but I'm not a big fan of comparisons in general. But he's a guy that Arizona State moved all over the place. He ran uh, several routes. I mean, his route running is a little raw as it is. I mean, I, I don't really know how well they coached that up or what they did for coaching it up. I mean, they used him in a variety of ways, though. I mean, he's he was a returner at one point, uh, and that kind of highlights his ability to run after the catch, which is easily his best ability. So he's a guy that I think would fit well into this offense because I think he provides a complement to Devontae Adams that – this team does not have yet. And I think he also provides a compliment to Equinemius St. Brown and Marcos Valdez-Scantling. He provides a different skill, a different skill set in that regard as he's just a master at the contested catch. He, he, his contested catch rate, his win percentage with that is just insane. And I think that's why he's ultimately going to be successful in the NFL, um, despite the concerns about his route running and not being able to create separation because I, he's so good at the – the catch point and just making sure that he's using his body to separate himself from the corner and make a catch or just even making acrobatic catches uh, out on the field. And the other two guys, Debo Samuel and Paris Campbell. So Debo Samuel, I kind of equated him to, if you're looking for a Randall Cobb replacement, this is your guy. He can kind of do everything you want him to do. Uh, he He's a red zone beast. Uh, he's a guy that, you can rely on. Uh, he's going to run. He's going to run good routes. He's got good hands. He can play outside. He can play inside. Uh, South Carolina moved him all over the place. Uh, you'd give. You would definitely give Matt Lafleur a gadget player to kind of just manipulate the defenses. Uh, and I think that he could very well be used in a Randall Cobb way. And I definitely think he's a guy on the Packers' radar. Uh, I mean, all the guys that we're talking about today, I believe, would be on their radar. Uh, there, there's, there's just some good receivers in this class that fit what they're typically looking for. Uh, Paris Campbell, as you mentioned, game breaker. Uh, he's a guy who I, he's a little bit more of a project than I think some of these other guys are at this point. And I, if, if Paris Campbell is sitting there in the third round, I'm thinking about it, but it's kind of, it's kind of what Andy talked about earlier. Uh, do you really want to add another project to your room of projects? Uh, Paris Campbell, I think, has the potential to be a very, very, very good receiver. And I personally would take him in the third, but it's going to take some work. Uh, he's a guy who I think he ran 4-3-2 or something like that. It, it was insane. He's got, ga- he's got blazing speed, game-breaking speed, and I believe he was underutilized at Ohio State. And I, I think that his lack of experience, he didn't get a lot of playing time. It's Ohio State. Uh, he didn't get a lot of quality playing time until this last year, and – I think that that kind of hurts him, um, but I also think that it leaves you a moldable ball of clay that you can kind of fit into your offense. But he's right now he's pretty raw, and you're just kind of hoping you can take that speed and that quickness and develop it into something that you know obviously you can use on a play to play basis. 
No, I agree with you. And with, with Campbell, again, losing the very losing comparison, I see a lot of Ted Ginn there, guy who's crazy athletic, crazy talented, but still needs a lot of time, a lot of work. Debo Samuel, along with Andy Isabella and even Hollywood Brown, another thing to keep an eye as well for receivers is their returnability. And Packers return games have were dreadful last year. And without Trevor Davis healthy and long shot to make the team this year, that's something you keep an eye on, especially in the punt return game. And Debo, Samuel, and Isabella were two of the very best returners out there as well for in college football last year. But another couple of guys I'm just interested in your guys' thought because with Elvis Witted now as the wide receivers coach, a couple of his former players are in the draft for this year from Colorado State, uh, Preston Williams and Ola B.C. Johnson. And both those guys bring something a little bit different to the table. Uh, Johnson or Williams is seen as possibly the more polished product, but I guess either one of you guys, uh, do you have any thoughts on the Colorado State guys and whether with the Elvis Witted connection, could there be some links to Green Bay there? Yeah, I think the connection could certainly be appropriate, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they went in either direction. Uh, of course, the big you know question, first of all, for for Preston is 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 the off field stuff and and some of those question marks, and then just how he tested. He he certainly didn't test the way that I think a lot of people expected him to. Uh, not really hitting any of the thresholds Green Bay would would look for, but uh, you know certainly Green Bay has that connection there, and if they feel comfortable with him, uh, maybe they would take him. O- Ola BC, uh, I don't know, I. I wasn't as big of a fan of his tape as maybe some other people were. Um, I think he's probably a, a late day three type of guy. Again, if Green Bay wanted to take a flyer on either of them late day three, or if, if either of them somehow went undrafted, uh, I think that would certainly be appropriate. And and maybe you see what you got, but uh, obviously Wittitz had a chance. He would know them better than just about anyone. And if he has high grades on them, then, you know, take them where you kind of want to on day three. But I, I, I don't know that either of them would get me too overly excited. Fair enough. And, yeah, I'm very much with you there. Yeah. Sorry for cutting you off, Mike. I just, I, for both guys, I'm just kind of very iffy on them. I'm not really high on either one. I thought I would be a lot higher on Preston Williams than I actually ended up resulting in. I, I think he was in the end, like my wide receiver 25 or something like that. I just, I, I had no real interest in him after watching his film. And I think it's pretty evident, uh, the effect of his suspensions and his injuries and all the stuff that he went through. It's pretty evident the effect of that in his play on the field. Man, if only they had hired Witted last year, they could have drafted Michael Gallup. (laughs) But I guess as we kind of start to wind things down, the receiver class, deep but a little underwhelming at times. I guess, is there any, I guess, guys who you're really going to be pulling for for the Packers to take, whether it's day one, two, or three? Because personally – and I've made this very well known. I am a big fan of Penny Hart. I loved what he did at the Senior Bowl and watching some of his Georgia State stuff. He played with some dreadful quarterback play, and he was at times a man among boys out there. Despite his his fairly poor testing numbers, he has got that wiggle that that you want out of the slot And then David Sills has really kind of come out of nowhere, uh, West Virginia. I'm starting to become more and more of a fan of. So I guess for both you guys, are there any I guess pet receivers that you would like to see come to Green Bay? Tyler, why don't you start? Yeah, uh, as far as pet receivers, uh, I think a guy like Dylan Mitchell in the later rounds uh, is very interesting to me. Uh, if you if you turn on the Oregon tape and you watch him, uh, there's some obvious deficiencies. He's got some really bad drop problems, uh, concentration drops, which is never what you want to see. But his ability to to create separation and then to make a play afterwards 
are so incredibly game breaking to me for, for lack of a better word, because it really was, he was just a big play machine um, at, at Oregon. And I, I am a, that's a guy I'm looking for in the late rounds as a super project who I would totally be okay with taking a flyer on and seeing if you could really turn him into something consistent. Yeah. I'm just going to kind of go rapid fire through a, a few guys that, you know, maybe we haven't covered quite as much or a few guys I have my eye on. I really love Kelvin Harmon. I actually had him as my third rated receiver in the draft guide. Um, you know, he's probably not going to be somebody that's on green Bay's radar because he doesn't really fit their athletic thresholds, uh, but just a super physical receiver. He's uh, he's been compared to, to Michael, Mike Thomas from the saints. Um, he plays that type of game. Thomas is certainly more talented and, and Harmon, probably isn't ever going to sniff that sort of upside, but he, the more you watch him, the more he just kind of grows on you. So he's a player that I like quite, quite a bit. Hakeem Butler was maybe my toughest evaluation, not maybe he was my toughest evaluation from this entire receiving class, because you just go turn out like most positions I really, including receiver, I'm going to go and I'm going to watch all of the tape, of course. And I don't really believe in watching highlight videos the one that I do kind of like watching highlight videos a little bit more is receiver because a lot of times you can only judge by their, uh, you know, when they're actually throwing the ball and what they do with it and, and, and what type of plays they make. When I watch Hakeem Butler's tape, just put it, put it in, throw it on. I'm kind of completely underwhelmed and he kind of looks like he's running in mud sometimes and the change of direction. And there's just some things that aren't totally there man, you throw on his highlight plays and he's just an absolute monster. And you, you see those flash plays and there's, it's not like there's two or three of them. There's a lot of flash plays and he really gets you so intrigued. So I think he has a lot to work with and he's so enticing. I see a lot of Plexico Burris in his game, but he was also a really dynamic slot receiver, just using his size and his wingspan to get open. So he's certainly somebody that is intriguing, um, another player, JJ Arcega Whiteside, uh, you know, really, you know, high IQ. He had one of the top Wonderlick scores uh, for the receivers in this draft. I think it was number one overall. He's just got a, such a unique game. So just a jump ball specialist. He comes from a basketball background and it completely shows on tape. Um, if you haven't had a chance for anyone that's listening to watch him, he just basically gets in the end zone and just boxes out and just out jumps everyone for the football. And it's not like he's like Hakeem Butler where he's 6'5", 6'6". He's 6'2", which is, you know, plenty tall, but it's not like he's this super, uh, you know, tall guy that's doing this. He just uses his basketball ability so well in that background so well. Uh, I'm just kind of intrigued at how that's going to transition into the NFL. Um, of course, I already talked about Andy Isabella, somebody that I love a lot. Emmanuel Hall is somebody that I really like. I mean, you talk about first step explosiveness. Um, he ran a 4-3-9-40, and it shows every time he explodes off the line of scrimmage. So another player that I'd be interested in. Um, and then really quick, uh, Terry McLaurin would come in and, and help on special teams right away. And I just love his route running ability. Um, certainly one of my favorite receivers in this class. And then uh, last but not least is, is Jalen Hurd. Uh, you talk about a guy who started as a running back. He's a 6 uh, six five dude who you wouldn't think would be a running back, but started as a running back. He's got a ton of quick twitch ability, changes direction. He can do a little bit of everything. You want him to dot the I in an I formation. He'll do it. He can be a goal line back. He can play in the slot. He just brings a lot of unique functionality to an offense. So that's probably way more than you ever wanted, but those are some guys we didn't have a, a, a ton of time to discuss and certainly some guys I'd be keeping an eye on. No, absolutely. And, and for everyone, of course, if you want the full breakdown from any receivers, check out the Cheesehead TV Draft Guide. If you haven't gotten it already, why not? 
please go do that. It's Andy does such great work with that. And of course, Tyler did as well with his position groups. I don't have the time, so I'm not a part of it. But either way, there's a lot of good receivers in this draft, a lot of talented guys. And like we said, it's not very top heavy, but it is really deep. And you're going to see a lot of guys, I think, break out in rounds about two through five, whether it's one of those slot guys like an Isabella or a Hunter Renfro or a Riley Ridley or Boykin, things like that. Or if it's an outside guy like a Hakeem Butler or or Preston Williams or a Kelvin Harmon, whoever like that, there's there's something for a little bit of everyone. And there's I'd say there's a, decent, a pretty good chance Packers will take one on either day two or day three. Like I said, day three, take the best available player and just see what happens. That's kind of what it is. It's guys you want. Make sure the other teams don't get them. So I guess as we wrap things up, Tyler, I'll ask you first, do you expect a receiver in Green Bay next year to come out of the draft class? Uh, if they do, uh, it should be one of those top three picks. Uh, I don't know. I think they're looking to add a receiver, so I think we'll see, I think we'll see one. Um, and I think that they're going to try and get a premium talent with it. So I think it'll be probably a 30 or 44. And Andy, same question to you. Yeah, I think if it is, if it's a if it's a top 44 pick, if it's one of those first three picks, I think it's going to be A.J. Brown. That would be my expectation. Uh, I think he does make some sense at 30 or 44 if he's there. So that would be my prediction. Uh, and then, again, I, I certainly think, uh, like I said earlier, whatever you want to do rounds four through seven, uh, take who's best available. And if that's two receivers, like, you know, three receivers like they did last year, go for it um, because you just never know what's going to happen on your roster. So I think they'll definitely end up with uh, at least one from this draft and probably a couple in undrafted free agency but if it's a top 44 guy i would expect aj okay and then i guess getting ready for the draft thursday friday saturday it's it is this week uh thursday are you guys doing anything for the draft as far as writing or keeping track um, I'll be doing a, a very special edition uh, of uh, the Cheesehead TV live draft, which uh, both of you guys will be a part of as well. So that'll be Friday night on day two of the draft. So make sure everyone to keep posted on that. And then um, I'll, be, I'll have an article up on Cheesehead TV for sure on Monday. And uh, I'll be doing a, a variety of different uh, appearances and, and things like that as well. So uh, just keep an eye on my Twitter feed and you'll be able to find everything that I have going on during the draft. Absolutely. And so Tyler, outside of the Cheesehead TV chat on Friday, what are your plans for the draft? Yeah, so Thursday I'm uh, kind of taking the day off from a writing and, you know, an- analyzing perspective. I'll just be kind of enjoying it as a fan with some good buddies. And then on Friday, um, I'm doing the show with you guys. Uh, I'm also covering the Lombardi Lounge, uh, basically taking over that stuff. So, if you know, whatever articles are coming out there, that'll be me. Um, and then also you and I, Mike, have the recap. So uh, I will be all over day two of the draft. Absolutely. There's going to be a lot of talking between me and you on Friday night, getting wrapping up day two, getting ready for day three, to go along with exactly. the Cheesehead TV hangout. And as for me, uh, I'll, uh, day one and day three, I'll be doing a lot of stuff on Dairyland Express. I'll be doing a lot of the breakdowns and writing for that uh, on day one, and especially on day three as one of the few available guys there that day. I'll be doing a lot of the breakdowns of that and where these guys could fit because I do enjoy trying to find tape on a log snapper like last year, which was so much fun. But either way, Andy, Tyler, thanks so much for joining us. And folks, don't forget again, this week, the NFL Draft, it is finally here. The wait is over. And stay tuned for more breakdowns, more predictions on the Pack-A-Day podcast throughout the course of this week. Breakdowns every night, day one, day two, day three, we're breaking down who is going to be wearing the green and gold, maybe trying to track some undrafted guys as well as that starts to come out. So stay tuned every day, 365 days a year, and next year, 366 as well. So 
for Andy, for Tyler, this is Mike saying so long. We'll talk to you next time on the Packaday Podcast. And of course, go Pack Go. Six seconds ago, ball just outside the four. Roger shotgun looks to his right. Snap to A-Rod. Throws right side. Yes! yes! Touchdown! And a dagger! The dagger to Andrew Paulus on the right side! Aaron pointing to the right now. Gets the snap. Looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Leaping right yes! to Bethany Yes! Touchdown Green Bay! A spectacular throwing catch to the left side of the end zone! Rodgers from the 42 New York, fourth down and two. Snap to A-Rod. Looking downfield, scrambles right. Now, winds up, rainbows, into the end zone. It is caught!